everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dawn, and with me today, on this very special occasion, uh, I have brought back returning champion, Miss New Type Lady, <laughs> to the podcast. Hi. Yay! <laughs> welcome back! Thank you, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a moment. Since the last time yeah. we were here, um, the last episode you were on, we were talking all about clamp, which is a favorite subject of both of ours. Oh, yes. Uh, and kind of in the same vein, we are going to be talking about something that is also very beloved by both of us, <laughs> which is the vision of Escaflone. Yeah. Yes. Because I was very... <laughs> even though I knew, like, in the back of my head, I knew I was like, oh, yeah, the 25th anniversary of Escaflone is coming up. Like, I somehow, like, kind of pushed it out of my mind until, like, last month, and then I realized, like, oh, yeah, the Escaflone anniversary is coming up. And I can't believe I forgot it because it premiered the same day as my birthday, April 2nd. <laughs> yeah, it's your birthday anime. <laughs> That and uh, Utena, which I think is very fitting. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Utena, I think, started in 97? So, like, the year after this. Yeah. Which is kind of wild. <laughs> two, it is. Two certified banger anime on my birthday. Yeah. Like, that's, that's pretty wild. Good choice. <laughs> but, but, yes, uh, The Vision of Escaflone... This year, uh, the year that we are recording this, if you are listening to this in the future, in the year 2021, uh, marks the 25th anniversary of The Vision of Escaflone, and it is one of my absolute favorite 90s anime. It's so good. And I was like, can we pull together an Escaflone episode for April? Because I think that would be really great. And uh, Miss New Type Lady was like, yes, we need to do it. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I will mainline the show again. Because I realized I hadn't rewatched the show in, like, probably ten years. It had been a while. So it was a good excuse. And uh, it's been a while for me. So as I said before, this is going to be my memories of Finalia. <laughs> yes. But that's okay because one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is sort of like a little bit of an overview of the, the history of the show, like the characters, like kind of what makes it tick and maybe a pitch as to why you should watch the vision of Escaflone, because there are people out there who have never seen the, the series before. And uh, later we'll get into spoilery stuff, but I will make sure to tell everybody when we are getting to spoiler territory. So like, if you really don't want to hear anything to spoil it if you've never seen it you can turn it off you can go watch the show and then come back and listen to all the spoilery stuff later <laughs> it's, yeah. it's totally fine but um <laughs> here i am uh gushing about just how much we love 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 escaflone so before we get started how would you describe escaflone to someone who'd never seen it before um well, it's it's a transported to another world series for one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not reborn in another world; just transported. Yes, <laughs> huge difference from the, from the yeah. uh, the currently now 
uh, very popular, you know, sort of isekai thing. Like, this is, like, proto-isekai, I guess. This is more like Fushigi Yugi Mm -hmm. or Rare Earth. Yes. In fact, if you like Rare Earth, you will probably like Escaflone. Yes, yes, totally. I agree. It's a mecha fantasy uh, with a strong female protagonist. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that is one of the reasons why it really, like, spoke to me, like, the first time I watched it. Because before this, like, I had it in my head that, like, oh, like, mecha shows are all, like, you know, there's a hot-blooded little teenage dude and he's in a robot and he's gonna... To be fair, there is one of those. Yeah, there is. (laughs) But Escaflone has, like, a lot more to it than just that. Which I I think is the thing. Like, the world building is really cool. Um, yes. The 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 world uh, that she gets transported to, Gaia, feels, like, very well fleshed out and just vibrant. Like, it's, it's not just, like, oh, it's, like, your typical, like, fantasy world. Like, it feels like yeah. somebody really sat down and they're, like, okay, there's all these different countries and each country has their own, like sort of flavor and vibe and they're all distinctly visually different which i really appreciated because there were there's so many like fantasy anime where it's like okay like there's just like you know there's people riding horses and there's a castle and like meh even dinosaurs are here yeah even dinosaurs (laughs) and uh but there's dragons there's um anthro anthropomorphic people god i always have trouble yeah saying there's that. anthropomorphic uh mole man <laughs> yeah there's mole man there's um um there's a jajika yeah, there's jajika there's cat girls like literal cat girls um it's funny that i'm like mole man and jajika <laughs> while completely ignoring like meryl and, and nadja and uh, yeah mm-hmm. sorry <laughs> sorry cat girls <laughs> it's okay I know there are people who are, like, very distinctively, like, I do not like Meryl. And I'm like, oh, but I like her. I do, too. She's very I think cute. she's cute. Yeah. I cosplayed as her once. Oh, I totally forgot for, about that. Wow. Gosh, that For Halloween. It was a long, long time ago. Long ago. <laughs> In the before times. <laughs> it, yeah, when we're talking before times, we're talking, like, uh... This was like 2001, 2000. It was, it was a while ago. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, time flies. What is time? Yeah. <laughs> so, what was your first experience with Escaflone? Like, how were you introduced to it? Do you remember? Yes. Uh, so, my dear friend Elise, uh, who I have known for a million bazillion years, um. She had it all in the clamshell packaging. Oh, the, the the videos that were released by uh, Bandai when they were, what was it, Anime Village? Yeah, and they had the beautiful um, Nobuteri Yuki uh, illustrations on them. Oh, those were so pretty. I loved them. Yeah. So she and I watched it together, and um, yeah, it's it's all her fault, basically. <laughs> Wow, so I, I feel like my experience 
uh, for for the time that I saw them was pretty common, I think. Uh, but I saw them in the uh, around 1997 or eight, I think, um, at an anime club meeting. Uh, we watched the first, I think, two or four episodes on Fansub VHS tape. <laughs> nice. Uh, with the, uh, you know, uh, kind of sketchy translation, but I realized when I was rewatching it this time around that the song lyrics that they used for the translation were pretty close. So I was like, okay, so the translation I saw was pretty decent then. That's good. Uh, you know, back then, sometimes you got some fan subs with some very sketchy uh, translations in them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you kind of had to take what you could get because back then it was like, you know, well, if it's not licensed, like, eh. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Um, and those few episodes that I saw uh, at uh, Anime Club, I was hooked, like, immediately. I was like, oh my god, I have to watch more of this. Where can I get more of this? And um, the the president of the Anime Club at the time was like, hey, oh, if you just get me some blank tapes, I will record the whole thing for you, and you can have it. And I was like, ah, yes, I need this. So I, you know, went home grabbed blank tapes and brought them back as soon as possible and was like, here, yes, please to be giving me <laughs> more Escaflone. And yes. I think I watched the whole thing in like a week. It's not super long, so... Yeah, it's uh, 24 episodes? Something like that. Yeah, or t yeah. No, 26. Uh, and, you know, when you're <laughs> when you're a teenager and you have nothing better to do, like, you can watch uh, 26 episodes of anything, like, pretty quickly. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so, like, immediately I was like, this is one of the best things I have ever seen in my life. And I immediately showed it to, like, several friends in high school. Because <laughs> I was like, I have no one to talk about this with. Here, you watch this so I can talk about it with you. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, like, immediately I got, like, my best friend into it. She and I both just, like, totally fell in love with it. Um, we would scour the geo cities for escaflone fan pages <laughs> at her house because her dial up was faster this is very this is a very 90s uh, conversation yeah <laughs> and um like i think the worst part though was like i tried to find like escaflone merchandise uh and there there is none there was like barely any like, I feel like now you have an easier time finding Escaflone merch because now you can look through, like, Yahoo Japan auctions and find, like, the, the tiniest bit of whatever was being released back then, which was not a whole lot. Like, I have a friend, they're, they're a huge Escaflone fan, uh, and they have, like, cells, and sometimes they found, uh, like, like, a little bit of merch here and there, like... One time I saw them post like, oh, I found this metal bookmark and it was like of like the tarot design and it had like Vaughn oh, cool. in the in the center. And I was like, I've never seen that before. Ah! <laughs> like I was freaking out. I was like, wow, where did you find that? Um, but yeah, it didn't surprisingly for a Sunrise production, it did not have a lot of merchandise back in the day. I think because 
Sunrise was working on two things at the same time, and the other thing was Gundam Wing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which was its own cash cow. Yeah. But the thing is that you can tell that they put their A animation team on Escaflone. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it is just so lush and beautiful and oh and it is visually stunning and it has such an amazing team of people that worked on it like yes holy cow so uh why don't we get into some escaflone production history because the production history of this series is kind of wild <laughs> yeah. so shoji kawamori one of the original creators of the Macross franchise, like right out of the gate, uh, you have like a big name here, was inspired after a trip to Nepal during which he visited the Foggy Mountain region and he pictured this like hidden world where this epic fantasy would take place focusing on like fate and division and uh, all this other stuff. And supposedly his pitch for the series to Sunrise was, well, if Macross was a robotic mecha with love songs. Why not a story about a robotic mecha and divining powers? And they were like, okay, that sounds interesting. Uh, so they hired, uh, like you mentioned before, Nobuteri Yuki. Uh, he's the artist behind character designs from like the record of Lotus War, the X movie, uh, Battle Angel Alita, uh, Chrono Cross, like all these really great, beautiful things. Uh, they hired him as the character designer, which, like, what a great choice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know Escafloni does get a little bit of flack for, like, the noses. I love me some Esca noses. <laughs> I love the style of Escafloni. And it, it sets it apart from, like, almost any other thing that Nobuteri Yuki worked on. Like, you you can see a picture from Escaflone, and you know right away that's from Escaflone. Yeah. Like, there's no confusing it with another thing. It has a very distinct style. And uh, I think I remember reading in, in Ann America a long time ago, they did, like, a cover story once, and they were talking with the director, and they were saying that they loved the character designs and the big noses so much that, like, they kept pushing how big they could get the noses sometimes. <laughs> Which I thought was great. I was like, yes, we need big nose representation in anime. Like, Hong Kong. <laughs> I love it. It has a very, like, shoujo-y kind of style to it, too. Like a shoujo manga style, almost. Um, it, yeah, it reminds me not to be confused with the shoujo manga that came out for it. No, which we will definitely talk about that later because that is also yes. really funny to me. But um, the style, like the nose style, kind of reminds me of like um, like Utena. Going back to Utena, like yeah, it does. Like everyone in there has like really long noses too, but nobody really complains about the noses in Utena for some reason. I guess because you can't call it Escaflones. <laughs> But um, <laughs> but yeah. So, um, Nobuteriyuki, amazing character designer, he was brought on. Initially, giant robo writer and director Yasuhiro Imagawa was hired to direct the series, and he was the one credited uh, to come up with the name Escaflone, which he came up with from a Latin-based derivative of the word escalation. 
Which makes huh, sense. I, I did guess. not know that. Yeah, like I, I was, I, th- I feel like I heard that somewhere, but had forgotten about it. But I guess it makes sense given the, you know, the themes of the show. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> his original, his original vision for the series was completely different from what we got, uh, which was his his original idea was this sort of standard sounding shonen style mecha battle series with a sexy heroine star um <laughs> the way he describes the original idea for hitomi sounds like she's like some sort of fan servicey pinup girl which yeah kills me <laughs> that's that is a hundred percent not what happened <laughs> which i you know thankfully that didn't happen um but uh however the series was put on hold for several years after he left the production extremely early on to go work on G Gundam instead, which, uh, you know, honestly, that's probably for the best because <laughs> yeah. we got a completely different series and he got to make G Gundam. So that, yeah, that's, it's fair. That's a win-win. Um, so Sunrise finally decided to revisit the project, hiring Kazuki Akane as the new director and before Escaflone, he'd never really been in charge of directing an entire series. Uh, he'd worked on various Gundam productions as an assistant and production runner. Uh, so it was apparently his idea to add more elements to the series of what we typically think of as being like, quote, shoujo. Uh, to add more of a broad appeal to the story. So he was the one that requested Hitomi change from more of this, like, sexy character to a more athletic, confident teenage girl, as he said. Um, He also asked to have the male characters look more, quote, bishonen. (laughs) Hell yeah. And added Hitomi's talent for tarot card reading, as he noticed things like fortune telling and astrology were very popular among teenage girls. Which, honestly that was a very good hook because in the nineties there was definitely um, sort of a more uprising, I guess in, in girls very, very into like horoscopes and, and crystals and all sorts of stuff like that. So this guy was smart. (laughs) Yeah. And he brought on, the very immensely talented Yoko Kano to score the series. Uh, and many of the songs and music that she wrote for the series, she co-wrote with her then husband, Hajime Mizoguchi, who uh, had previously helped her work on Please Save My Earth and Macross Plus. So initially this took a while because <laughs> as we were saying, the, the series plot went through multiple revisions throughout its whole production. Uh, but thankfully, they finished in time for them to have enough time to give the series the truly beautiful soundtrack we know. Uh, oh, yeah, it's gorgeous. It, the soundtrack to Escaflone is probably one of the things that really, really makes the, sh- the show, to be honest. It's great. It adds so much to the overall feel of the of the show. Um, so Maya Sakamoto, the, uh, the voice of Hitomi in Japan... Uh, was also asked to sing not only songs for the soundtrack, but the opening song itself. And uh, Kano was so impressed by her work that they went on to do many other projects together. And 
keep in mind, Maya Sakamoto was 16 when this came out. She was a baby. She was a baby. This was her, like, first real, like, starring role in an anime. Yeah. And Kano is quoted as stating that Sakamoto is an ideal interpreter of her work. Which, like, if Yoko Kano is telling the world that this is, like, the vessel in which I want my music to come from, like, I feel like that's a huge compliment. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, listening to the op- just if you've never heard the opening of Escaflone, turn this off right now and go listen to it, because it is one of the best anime opening themes, like, ever made. Like, full stop. It's so good. It's so, and you will never hear another anime opening with like a what is it? A bagpipe? Uh, yeah, <laughs> solo, <laughs> which is amazing. It's so good. I have to say, uh, I obviously love the opening, but what really gets me is the next episode uh, preview. Oh, the the the, when, the little like chime sound and then just escaflone. <laughs> yes, no, I, I freaking love that. And it sounds like it's being played on like a harpsichord or something, like it, it, or like a whirly. Like I I don't even know what you would. It sounds like some kind of medieval instrument. Yeah, which is perfect for like the tone. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's so good. But like, <laughs> but like, I distinctly remember when I was a teenager, after a few episodes, like every time we got to that next episode cre- preview, I would be like, along with the the guy. <laughs> in Escaflone. The Escaflone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which. I also. Like, so of course, like when I rewatched it, I also <laughs> did that. Escaflone. <laughs> You gotta. It's, it's great. I mean, if there's any question of what what show you are watching, the show will tell you multiple times. Oh, I mean, Dance of Curse is just... <laughs> Eska. Eska. Flone. Flone. Yeah. Eska. Flone. <laughs> and then it's got some other words in there, but I like to think of it as... It's Escaflone. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the branding is very spot on. Yes. But like, I know that sound, it sounds so ridiculous. But when you're listening to it, you're like, oh, this rules. This absolutely rules. It does rule. I, I love this. <laughs> Every show should have just a, a a song where they sing the title over and over <laughs> Yes, and it should go as hard as Dance of Curse does. Yeah, Dance of Curse is a great track, honestly. Yes. It's so good. Um, but we, I could say that about almost every track, though, in the soundtrack. It's like... Yeah. Uh, it's so good. Uh. <laughs> I just, like... Yoko Kano just brings it whenever she does a soundtrack for something. But I feel like Escafloni is just, like, one of the just real pinnacle of like Yoko Kano music. Agreed, agreed. Like I know a lot of people go hard for Cowboy Bebop, but like Escaflone just like is so good from start to finish the soundtrack. Like if I had the money, I'd have every single Escaflone soundtrack, but uh yeah. 
they 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 released like god like at least four or five of them there's a lot but they're real good yep every single one of them um so minoru taka takanashi was the series producer uh, probably the most famous for being a producer for the various Macross and Gundam productions. Uh, he was the one who researched uh, different myths and legends from around the world to help shape the idea of Gaia when they were doing the uh, world building as such. Um, it was his idea to actually use inspiration from things like the Lost City of Atlantis and the Bermuda Triangle in the story, which uh, I feel like that's super important because a lot of the plot later in the show kind of revolves around uh, Atlantis. Atlantis, yeah. And um, the the whole idea of, like, the transporting people from, you know, this world to the other world and all that stuff, which I think yeah. was uh, what they kind of got <laughs> from the whole, like, disappearing Bermuda Triangle thing. Sadly, the vision of Escaflone was originally planned to be much longer, but unexpected budget cuts whittled it down to 26 episodes. So this ended up making... And the ending is rushed. Yeah. Uh, the, the later half, the later third, I want to say, of the series, you can tell, like, they were kind of like, okay, we got to sprint towards that ending. <laughs> um, so this made it uh, to where many of the episodes were, like, really, really, like, jam-packed with story. And sometimes that was good, and sometimes it felt like you were running a marathon. You were just like... There is just so much going on right now. Yeah. But uh, uh, some of the scenes that they actually finished for the show ended up being uh, cut from their original TV airing, though later on they would be added as special features to home video releases. Uh, you can see these on the, uh, the Bandai uh, release here the dvd they did have some of the cut scenes as special features and i know that is also on the new blu-ray that came out uh as well uh because it's kind of unheard of in like a tv series to like have they they fully animated and voice acted like all these scenes but then they had to be cut for time yeah that's wild Usually that's something you hear about, like, in a movie or whatever, but not so much TV shows. So that really kind of gives you an idea of, like, the sort of crunch they were under to, like, okay, we really have to try to cram as much as humanly possible in each episode and try to keep it around 25 minutes, uh, which is definitely hard to do when you have so... I mean, they had so many things, go like, there are a lot of different plot threads going on a a on any given Escaflone episodes. So, let's see. Oh, yes. I definitely wanted to talk about this because I think it's really important to point out that Escaflone is an early example of anime using computer animation on top of traditional cell animation. Yeah. Uh, this was still, like, a really sort of uh, new and novel concept at the time. Like, computer animation is used all the time today, obviously. But back in, like, 1996, this was still, like, very new technology that they were dealing with. Um, yeah. For example, like, some of the things they did with computer animation. One that you will f see right away in the very first episode is there's a dragon. And it has this really cool pattern on it. So they used computers to layer that pattern on the dragon to make it look like he was very scaly and weird looking. 
the oh the invisibility mantles worn by the Zybok uh, guy melfs their their mecha. Uh, they used computer animation for that, and um, some of the scenes of Hitomi's like visions. They used a lot of uh, computer transitions and uh, things like that to layer like a cell drawn Hitomi on top of like a bunch of like mystical sort of looking wavy lines <laughs> done with computers but they were really smart about how they use them like those things I feel I have aged like pretty well like yeah agreed they like if you watch the the blu-ray now uh you can kind of tell like oh yeah there's a little bit of like weird pixelation around the edges of something but like you have to really look pretty hard sometimes and um, if I didn't know what to look for, I wouldn't have been able to notice him that badly. Like, you know, some of the effects aged better than others, but I feel like for the time this came out and how they used the computer animation, they made a lot of smart choices. And it has aged way better than some of the stuff that was made in, like, the early 2000s, which was later. Oh, for sure. Like, you watch some of those things, and you're like, oh, oh, this is, this looks rough. But uh, Escaflowne still looks, like, really good. And I think that is very impressive. It has aged great. Like, yeah, there are some parts that they couldn't, like, up for HD, because, like, obviously, HD picture did not exist for <laughs> the computer graphics they were using at the time. Yeah. But it still looks pretty decent like the the way that they upscaled it for those specific scenes it still looks good i mean it's really hard it's really hard to upscale something that was probably made with like a computer that uh <laughs> had like maybe a third of the memory that we're using on a computer today not even yeah it's 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 pretty impressive like i was constantly like when I was rewatching it, I was like, "This still looks really good." <laughs> like, yeah, uh, and I think it also helps that for the most part, it's like still traditional cell animation. Like, it's not like they animated this entire thing with computers. Or computers, yeah. Uh, it was. It's just a really good meld of the two. It's like the best of both worlds. You get like pretty decent computer special effects. And you still get all the lavishly animated, like, beautiful cell animation. So that's another reason why I highly recommend the series, because it just looks really good. Like, yeah, it does. Especially for a TV show that came out in, like, 96. Like, there's a lot of TV shows that came out in, like, 98 that I <laughs> would be like, oh, don't, don't even bother. But, but this one, like, Sunrise really knew what they were doing. Yeah. So... Um, like I mentioned before, the series was fan-subbed back in the day, wildly popular all over, uh, so much so that even magazines like, uh, like I mentioned before, Anne America ran full cover stories on the series before it was ever officially released here, which is kind of wild. Like, that's usually something you only saw for things like really, like, anime classic staples, like your classic Gundams and uh, Ghibli movies and things like that. So I th it was a pretty big deal that American magazines were even like, no, this is really popular and we're going to cover this too, even though technically it's not available here yet. <laughs> but, so many, yeah. but so many people had already seen it that the demand was really high. 
Uh, so, like we mentioned earlier, Bandai originally released the series in the U.S. under their Anime Village label in 98. Uh, famously, though, in August of 2000, a heavily edited version of the series started airing on Fox Kids. Sure did. <laughs> Much like um, the the Kids WB card captors, which started airing several months prior to this, actually, the series heavily downplayed Hitomi as the lead character and instead put the focus on Vaughn as the lead character. And, and it was super edited. It was very edited. Like the whole first episode they cut. Like, it was gone. It went straight to the second episode. And uh, they also replaced uh, most of the soundtrack with techno music, <laughs> which was a choice. Um, famously composed by Enon Zur, who is now way more famous for doing things like Dragon Age and Fallout, which is kind of oh, funny. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, huh. yeah. This was, like, one of the first, like, big things he ever did. Like, he did the whole, like weird techno escaflone opening <laughs> for the fox kids uh -huh, uh -huh. which like admittedly it's not bad like the music is it just isn't escaflone yeah it's just not escaflone um it yeah. gives it gives you a really weird impression of the show <laughs> that just isn't there but unlike card captors however this modified version of the series was a flop and it was canceled after just a few episodes. I think they only actually produced 10 in total before it got canceled. And I think only a few of those actually aired. I think like four. Yeah, it was, it was weird. <laughs> and I think it was just like literally every Escafloni fan was just like, no. <laughs> mm -mm. Big no. Big Hard no. Pass. <laughs> Especially considering like the... The original was already out there, so it was so weird to be like, okay, we're going to do this weird modified version and put it on TV because kids like For anime. children. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, such a weird choice because you're going to have to do so much editing because there is uh, – it's a fantasy series, but it's also very violent. Like, it's surprising. It's very violent, it's yeah. It's surprisingly violent. Like, there's a lot of, like, sword fighting and mecha fighting. There's blood. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of impaling. There, there's a lot of impaling. Like, sword impaling and, and, ooh, yeah. And, like, projectile impaling. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, d I don't know <laughs> why they thought this would work. But, uh, yeah. So, famously, it failed. Uh, but... Uh, weirdly, that was a lot of people's first exposure to Escaflone. Uh, huh. I, I've met people who, like, the first version that they ever saw was that one on TV. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, if it if it got you to the original and you, yeah. and you liked it, that's good. Yeah. So, you know, I can't totally hate on it. But I just think it's just a weird really strange uh concept that like whoever came up with it i'm just like why why uh i mean i know why it's like oh uh, anime is hot let's let's make a thing for kids out of this you know? yeah S same thing you know for kids <laughs> same thing with you know how, how they were like let's let's make this uh this uh show macross let's make it into a show for kids and call it robotech why not oh <laughs> Same line of thinking, I guess. But yeah, that did not go over well. Uh, so Bandai later released the entire series on DVD, the original, 
including like first they did on single DVDs. Uh, later they did two different box sets. They did like an ultimate box set and then they did like a anime legends, which was kind of like the economy box. Um, and the anime legends. I did too. Yes. Um, I wanted to get like the big fancy one cause it like came with stuff, but it was a lot of money. That was like, it was, it was like, Oh, I want to say it was almost $200 or something. It was a lot. Yeah. Uh, and you know, back in the uh, early 2000s money, I was like, uh-uh, <laughs> I'm going to get the one that's like, you know, $70 instead because, you know, money. Um, yeah. But it went out of print in the mid-2000s, and after a certain point, uh, Escaflone became increasingly harder to find, uh, especially after Bandai's uh, American anime label shuttered and didn't exist. So it was, like, very out of print for years and years until... Uh, Funimation Kickstarter. Announced, yeah, Funimation announced a license for it in 2013, uh, <laughs> and they had to sit on it for a while because uh, Sunrise took forever apparently to give them the materials. Uh, but in 2016, they launched their very first ever Kickstarter campaign, not only to release the series on Blu-ray but to also pay for a brand new dub, which. At the time, I I still am like, that's a weird idea, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of people were also just like, huh? Why? Because I didn't grow up with the dub. No, same. Uh, but that Ocean Studios dub was pretty well beloved by a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I love Ocean. Yeah, they but, did Gundam Wing as well. Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, you know... Uh, early 90s like <laughs> anime voices in there like uh, a lot of the same people from Gundam a lot of the same people from uh I think the Ronma dub they had like Paul Dobson as Vulcan like that was such a good choice they had Brian German as Alan yeah. because he's Zex yeah. and he's also Alan <laughs> I mean that makes sense to me yeah <laughs> but um you know I I like I said, I didn't really grow up with it, but I knew it was like really super well beloved. So I thought it was a, just a weird choice to be like, "Hey, we're gonna redub the whole thing." Like, huh? Uh, <laughs> okay, but uh, the the Kickstarter campaign was successful. I think mostly just because at that point people were just like, "Okay, just give me Escaflone back." Like, yeah, just please, <laughs> please. Plus, it was gonna be on Blu-ray, uh, which yeah, I want Escaflone on Blu-ray obviously uh so it was so successful like the campaign was so successful they they had like a ton of stretch goals one of them was to also include the ocean dub as an extra so it's still on there but there's also the the new Funimation dub on there <laughs> which um i have never listened to i should have probably listened to like, a clip of it or something so i ha could have an opinion but i i don't um I think mostly just because I thought a lot of the choices were strange. Like, the casting choices were a little weird to me. Uh, and also there's a few act actors on there that I'm not super fond of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cough, cough. The one in particular. Yeah. <laughs> he who shall not be named. So that Blu-ray came out about a year later, I want to say, in like 2017. Uh, and subsequently, Funimation released non-Kickstarter versions 
for the general public to buy. So there is a version where it's a two-part box set where you buy part one and part two. And now they have like an anime classics version which has like the entire thing in one box. Uh, which is the one I own. And uh, I will say the Blu-ray is stunning. Like the HD picture is so nice. Oh, like, I bet. Like I was just... Oh, it felt like watching it all over again for the first time because the first time I ever watched it, the fan sub VHS tapes I had were recorded off of Japanese TV. Yeah. So the picture was very like blurry and dark because famously, like if you wanted to do like a fan sub VHS back in the day, first you had to get like the, the base show like you had to get a show so you would want to get the highest quality version you could possibly get but a lot of times that wasn't uh, available available to you so you would have to just use a version that somebody recorded off of tv and then you'd have to re-record that with your uh your subtitles on top of that and then if someone wanted a copy they would have to make a copy of that so you're getting a copy of a copy of a copy hopefully (laughs) but sometimes you're getting a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And so by the time it gets to you, you're like, the picture isn't really stellar. <laughs> so, yeah. So the first time I ever watched it, I think, I think it says a lot that even with the like picture that was not the best, I was still like this show rules. And I love yeah. it. Yeah. So the first time I ever saw it on DVD, I was like, wow, everything isn't that dark. <laughs> right. Uh, and it felt like, watching a completely different show almost because a lot of the details kind of got lost in the picture uh in the one that i saw at first i was like wow i didn't realize like look at that you can see this and that and (laughs) all that stuff and now watching the blu-ray version that i watched now just like a week or two ago i'm like wow i didn't notice this that or that (laughs) like with with each version the picture keeps getting better and better and I'm like, oh, God, it's so beautiful. <laughs> so gorgeous. Oh. And, like, the creditless openings is just, like, ooh, it's so, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I, I keep just going on tangents where I'm like, it's so beautiful. But it really is. So, uh, oh, also, I should mention that as of this recording, Escafone is streaming on Funimation's uh, streaming service Funimation Now, yeah, Funimation Now, I believe is what it's called. Uh, if you are in America, I think it might also be available in the UK because I think Funimation has widened their service areas now that they. And if not, you can get a VPN. Yeah, yeah, uh, th- that's always an option. And I didn't realize this, but apparently they've changed the Funimation streaming service from the f- <laughs> the few times I had used it in the past. Uh, but you can watch all of Escaflone for free on their service. Um, there's just like some ads. Uh, but yeah. but because it's older, you can watch it for free. Um, which I thought was great because I was like, I don't really want to have to pay for a service just to watch Escaflone. But um, Escaflone is worth it though. Like if you just want to pay like the, I think it's like seven ninety nine for a month or something like that. Uh, $7.99 to see if you want to maybe buy a series or just watch a whole thing isn't terrible. It's yeah. way, it's way cheaper than going on Amazon. I think Amazon wanted like a dollar an episode or something. 
Oh, jeez. And I was like, ooh, that's like 26 bucks. <laughs> By that point, you might as well just save up and get the Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so if you are in America, you have options for seeing it if you've never seen it before. Um, also, I should mention, completely different from the TV series, there is an Escaflone film that came out in 2000 in Japan. Uh, it's kind of like a reboot slash retelling of the TV series. Uh, but It's weird. It's crammed into like 98 minutes. <laughs> so it's like... Uh, it is, it is weird. So the characters were like reworked and redesigned. The story is very different in tone. Uh, but also while this was still a Sunrise production, technically, most of the animation was done by Studio Bones, uh, making oh. it their very first feature film, which I also didn't know until I started doing research. I was like, how oh. about that? <laughs> so, so the animation is like really good. It's just very different. Uh, yeah from the show um famously there's a lot of people who saw the the movie and they're like this movie rules and then they saw the show and they were like this is completely different what the hey uh so it's wild to me that there are people out there who loved the movie and then tried to watch the show and didn't like it uh, because <laughs> i feel like it's usually the other way around yeah um but it's kind of almost like um the utina movie like the utina movie is weird and different kind of has the tone of the show but not really so if you i feel like the internet movie is still at least recognizable yeah it at least looks like an utina thing whereas like the escaflona movie it it has a real different look even though the character designs are by nobuteri yuki they're totally different yeah they are way different and uh like Hitomi and Vaughn is the caveman for some reason. Yeah, and like Hitomi's way different. Hitomi is like a really depressed, sad girl in that movie. She... Hitomi tries to kill herself. Yeah, yeah, ooh, yeah. Uh, content warning for like mega depression. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. You're fine. But like, yeah, and I think that was one of the other reasons I just did not gel with it because I was also in a very depressed state at the time when I watched that, and I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> This is, yeah, no. this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> but um, eh, there's mixed feelings here. Like, I, th I think a lot of people love the series, are really divided on the movie. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, considering how much they changed, it makes sense. I, uh, I think I'd have to rewatch it again if I really wanted to put like a solid opinion on it but like back in the day i watched it and i was like i do not like this not one yeah time. no <laughs> i i will I'll say pass. i will say it is a, it, very beautifully animated though and it has again a very beautiful soundtrack oh yeah uh, for sure the soundtrack is great uh i still have like uh the the big bandai like limited edition release of it because one of my friends was selling like all of their anime and she was like i will sell you this for 10 whole dollars and i was like so wow <laughs> so it's that really like like it's that really huge box that came with like the movie and the soundtrack and uh the box is very pretty and has hitomi on the cover and the only reason i still have it is because um nobuteri yuki was a guest at SakuraCon one year and i had him sign it and then uh, the voice of Meryl was 
also at SakuraCon one year, and I had her sign it. Oh. So I have this, like, mission that, like, maybe once... Oh, uh, uh, once I'm old, I will have more Escaflone people like sign this box because yeah. uh, that would be pretty cool. Um, <laughs> also, that was the year uh, that um, Ikue Otani, that was also the year when when she was at SakuraCon, <laughs> when I had her sign this, I was the only person who had an Escaflone thing to sign because, uh, you know, we'll get into it when we talk about the characters, but famously she does the voice of Pikachu in Pokemon. Oh, yeah. So everyone had Pokemon things to sign, and I had Escaflone, and she made a huge deal about about how I had an Escaflone thing. And then I of told, course. And then I told her in really bad Japanese that I thought her voice was adorable, and um, she thought that was very sweet. <laughs> but, yeah, that's my, my one sort of Escaflone story. Nice, <laughs> nice. Um... But uh, other than the movie, the series also got an original PlayStation game in Japan, uh, which I bought at a con specifically because if you uh, if you buy the like special edition of it, it comes with a pack of uh, tarot cards that look like Hitomi's. I was, I was a little disappointed, though, because the art that they use on the cards, I think they just took screenshots of the anime Oh. And put them so like there's this weird like shadow on some of them, uh, huh. because uh, if you if you look at the each episode has a tarot card in the opening, right? For, and some of the cards are more shadowy, like they're in the shadows or something, and some of the cards look like that, and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> but you know, I I was like, I really want it, and some guy was selling it for like twenty dollars, so. I have, I have a copy. I've never opened the game. <laughs> I opened the box to get to the... There's a... You know, obviously there's the tarot cards, like I said, but there's also, like, this really pretty booklet of art uh, that has to do with the game. And I wanted to look at the book real bad. And um, But the... <laughs> the PlayStation game is still wrapped in the plastic. I've never played it. Because it's very text-heavy. It's It's a... It's basically oh, a J- yeah. It's basically a JRPG. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to play this. <laughs> yeah. No. But I but I have it. <laughs> uh I think somebody actually did a fan translation of the PlayStation game, and I think it's out there, and I've always been curious about it, but I've never played it. Just because I was like that's a lot of work to <laughs> to play a uh, yeah, twenty-five-year-old PlayStation game. But there's also, uh, we kind of mentioned this earlier. There's three different manga series tied to Escaflone. Yes. Uh, there's also six light novels. Oh, I was not aware of that. Which I had no idea there was that many. I, I remember, I vaguely remember there being at least a couple, but there were six different ones. Um, but I got a listener question about the manga and how it kind of. Uh, reflects the anime. Which series. one? Uh, <laughs> there's three different ones. They they had just a general question of the different manga. So um, I'll, I'll yeah I'll get to that uh, in the listener questions later. But um, in summary, the three different manga releases are there's a shonen manga version 
there's a shoujo manga version, and then there's a book that's like 15 different short stories done by 15 different artists that all relate to Escaflone in some way. And uh, they are very, very, very different than the show. <laughs> yeah, very different. But um, so we've talked about this wild production history that Escaflone had. Um, but how about now maybe talk about some of the characters? Because we haven't really gone over like who is in this show and uh, what makes them so cool. Because there's so many. Uh, I figured we'd just go over like the kind of main characters. Oh, so like Mole Man? <laughs> D- definitely mole man my man who's a mole <laughs> uh so uh our lead character uh we've kind of mentioned her before is hitomi kanzaki uh she was originally voiced in japanese like i said by maya sakamoto her first major role at the age of 16 years old i think it's really interesting that something that stuck with me when i read that an america magazine cover story on Escaflone way back in the day was that the director said they auditioned so many different girls for Hitomi. And in the first episode, when she meets Vaughn, there's a part where he tells her, like, she has to run because there's a dragon coming. And she answers, like, dragon? You know, she's very confused. And he said out of all the girls that auditioned for the show... Whenever they asked to have them read that line, they would always ask, you know, dragon like they were scared. And out of all of the girls, Maya Sakamoto was the only one where when she said the line, she acted like she was picking a fight. And he said, <laughs> and he said that was one of the reasons why she was chosen. And I think that's a very good sort of description of Hitomi. She's like a very athletic sort of commanding personality like she's optimistic maybe a tad naive but she's she's really just like confident in her abilities and i think that was one of the reasons why i really liked her when i saw this because i saw this when i was a teenager and she had this sort of personality where she wasn't like a hundred percent tomboy she wasn't a hundred percent like super feminine like traditionally like what we think of as like a really feminine girl she was kind of in the middle she was just a girl yeah she was just a girl who liked to run track that was like her her big thing was she was a uh, a really fast runner and her hobby is tarot card reading and in the beginning of the series she has this huge crush on her senpai uh amano senpai amano senpai <laughs> and um that's kind of like how we get introduced to her. Like the whole first episode, there's not really much fantasy in it. Like you see Hitomi just like going to school, doing her thing. And it, it isn't till the end where uh, the, the real fantasy part of the story starts kicking in. And um, I thought that was really cool because at first you're like, okay, this is like supposed to be a fantasy show, but what's going on? But it was a great introduction to Hit- Hitomi. Like, that first episode is just yeah. a really nice look at her and her, like, where she is in her life at the, at the moment. And I really liked that. But, um, yeah, so at the end of the first episode, we're introduced to Von Fonnell, who's voiced by Tomokazuseki in the original Japanese. That's Doman in G Gundam, 
for, for anyone who didn't know, or uh, Chichiri in Fushigi-yugi. And um, he is the young king of Finalia, who is also the pilot of the titular Escaflone. He's Which is called a Gaimelef. Yes, a, a Gaimelf. Gaimelef? Gaimelef. Gaimelef. It, it, it's a weird name. <laughs> I always just I thought know. it was Gaimelf <laughs> when I was younger. I was like, okay. He's, it's a thing that you that a guy pilots. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, Vaughn is very headstrong, almost to a fault. And uh, he's the first person Hitomi meets from Finalia. And the two become sort of like travel companions uh, in the beginning as Van promises to help Hitomi find her way back home because she helps him defeat the dragon with her sort of like divining divination yeah yeah because she also uh once she is transported to this new magical world uh we see that these like sort of latent divination powers that she had is are somehow amplified and uh it kind of gets stronger as the series goes on and that's like kind of a big plot point later So we also have Meryl, voiced by uh, Ikue Otane, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, she was also Himiko in Himi-chan's Ribbon and Tinyanko in Sailor Stars, as well as being Pikachu in Pokemon. Probably her most yeah. well-known thing. Uh, she is a literal cat girl, as in she is a race in the world of Gaia that looks and acts very similar to Earth's domestic cats. Uh, she has fur all over. She has cat ears. She has whiskers. She has claws. The whole nine yards. She has a tail. It's it's not like your typical like oh I'm a cat girl and I'm just a normal girl with a with cat ears or whatever. No, she is like an actual cat. Yeah, like she even acts like a cat, it, which is kind of adorable. <laughs> like there, and, there are times- and her her cat songs, her image songs. Oh yes, her little. <laughs> The little song. there's one called Cat's Feelings. Yes, the the little songs that play, like I th- I think in the second episode there's one that's called Cat's Delicacy. Yes, that one's just kind of goofy nonsense. Yeah, it's it's uh, Yoko Kano made up a whole weird language, uh, just for that song, <laughs> and it's supposed to be like I think in the liner notes I read that it's supposed to be the. The language of her race uh, yeah which i thought was like pretty pretty interesting to like invent a whole language just for one song but uh, well she but that, did it again for cowboy bebop yeah i was gonna say that's yoko kano though <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool um it, it kind of gave me vibes of um when she did the song cats on mars uh for yeah. cowboy bebop it kind of has a similar tone of just being cute nonsense. And, um, well, no, I, coin, um, I get that title wrong, but it's, it's a song that's half in Japanese, but half in made up language from mm-hmm. Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, won't, won't on, won't on coin. I yeah. I want to say it. Yeah. I don't know why it's so hard. It's it's interesting. But um yeah, Meryl is an orphan and she was kind of adopted by the royal family and is a childhood friend to Vaughn. 
uh, which leads her to be very possessive of him around Hitomi. Though later in the series, she warms up to her a lot more and they become friends. Yeah. But uh, that's kind of Kat's behavior for you. Like she acts, like I said, she acts very (laughs) Kat-like. There are times where you even see her like asleep. Like herself. Uh, Yeah, you, you see her like lick herself like a cat. You see her like asleep on the foot of the bed. Uh, like a cat. <laughs> yeah. It's really cute. Um, so we also have Alan Shazar. Alan Crusade Shazar. <laughs> and he was voiced in the original Japanese by Shinichiro Miki. That's Keisuke in Fushigi Yugi. Uh, Kojiro slash James in Pokemon. Laocorn in Fatal Fury, the motion picture. A oh, whole lot of other things. He's like a very, very popular voice actor in Japan, as is uh, Tomokazu Seiki now. Like, they both kind of exploded after yeah. this. Um, so he's the the tall, blonde, elite knight of the kingdom of Asturia. And uh, Alan joins Vaughn and Hitomi in their quest to help both Vaughn find who attacked his kingdom and to help figure out a way to get Hitomi back home. He bears a really strong resemblance to Hitomi's crush, Amano. Which leads to her having a crush on him as well. And he is well no- he has a well-known reputation for being a ladies' man. Yeah. But um, he's a very sort of, like, gentlemanly, like, very, very knightly, like... Chivalrous. Chivalrous. That's, yes. Uh, yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Yes. Um, I know that... A lot of people back in the day were very like, were you Team Vaughn or were you Team Allen? Team Allen. All the way. <laughs> I don't care if that gets me canceled. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. When I first watched the, the series, I was immediately Team Allen. Uh, but then as the show progressed, like when you get to a certain point, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> And I so don't then, care. <laughs> so so then I kind of, my my love of Alan kind of waned. And then on subsequent rewatches, my love of Falcon grew. And so well, Alan, and Falcon's Alan's, just great. And Alan sort of fell to the wayside. But now you know that I rewatch the series, I'm kind of back on Team Alan. <laughs> if I mean if I had to choose between the two, uh Alan definitely. Yeah. Not to um, say that Vaughn is bad. Van is great. Um, I'm sure I'm sure people love him for reasons. Yeah. I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a cute, scrappy little guy. But um <laughs> but Alan, yeah, like I'm I'm kinda back on Team Alan. <laughs> I fell off the wagon, but I'm back. <laughs> but there's We there's... we just brought up Falcon, but how best to talk about him. Yeah, he was actually who I was going to bring up next is uh, Falcon, uh, voiced in Japanese by Joji Nak- uh, Nakata, also known as George Nakata, the narrator from Victory Gundam. Uh, he's Kusanagi Shiryu in the X movie, and his most well-known role, probably Alucard in Helsing. So he is the mysterious tactician of the Zybak Empire. Uh, we learned the bad very- guys. Yeah, the, quote, the bad guys. Uh, we learn very quickly that he has a past that ties him to Finalia and to Vaughn. Uh, he, he has a teardrop tattoo under his left eye. Which, so he probably killed a man in prison. <laughs> which is never really explained, but that kind of, 
Uh, I've noticed in the Escaflone fandom at large, uh, a lot of people, because of this, call him a clown man. (laughs) 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 Which I'm like, oh. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's never really explained when or why he gets that. But uh, most commonly, those represent either loss or grief, which is kind of a a, a telltale sort of thing uh, about... How much of his uh, past is going to be not tragic? Right. Yeah, uh, but that's that'll we'll maybe talk a little bit about that in spoiler territory. Um, yeah, but yeah, I love Vulcan. <laughs> I love him so much, and I know it's such a like a nineties uh, like anime boyfriend sort of choice. But mm, there you go. <laughs> I love Vulcan. The 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 '90s boyfriend choice, like, <laughs> is kind of like, uh, if I had to describe why that's the thing, like, it, it would go into spoiler territory. But like, if you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> also, he reminds me of the the Goblin King from Labyrinth. Yes, I think that was one of the reasons why, like, I also really liked him. He he's got really strong Jareth vibes. Yes, uh, and. Even more so in the movie. Like Yes. Yeah. His, his hair goes full Jareth in the in the film. <laughs> Which um you know, also just make me love him more. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, the movie was kinda messed up, but like, you know, you got that Goblin King uh makeover and that's pretty pretty rad. <laughs> yeah, that's dope. <laughs> um, next we have a character who is Kind of controversial. Uh, so, Delando Albato. Yeah. I feel like we got to put Delando in the spoiler section because it's yes. really hard to talk about Delando otherwise. Yeah, yeah. But um, he is voiced in Japanese by Minami Takayama, who was Nabiki in Rama One Half, Kiki in Ursula in Kiki's Delivery Service, Conan in Great Detective Conan. Uh, so many things. Like, she's a very, very, very prolific voice actress. Um, and is also a member of the J-pop group, uh, 2Mix. Who... Yeah. If you are a 90s kid, you probably know that banging Gundam Wing opening. Hell yeah. (laughs) She was getting double paid by Sunrise at the time. Oh yeah. Definitely. And uh, I think Tumix also made a appearance in Conan, just because, you know, of course, because she's in that. Yeah. Um, but Delandu is the leader of the elite mech pilots of Zybat called the Dragon Slayers. And uh, Delandu is initially introduced as a violent, narcissistic young man who over time becomes obsessed with defeating Van in combat after a fight with him leaves a scar on his face. I, I say that it's not too spoilery because it happens pretty early on. Yeah, it's really early. Like, that's the basis of that character, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, his past is also shrouded in mystery. Uh, and one of the series' biggest uh, plot twists kind of revolves around it. So uh, we'll probably talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Delandu is a character that... Fans still talk about to this day, and with good reason. Um, I always thought he was a very interesting character. Like, one of those sort of, like, villain types that you're like, 
I like this character, and I'm not really sure why. Yep, agreed. <laughs> but, I mean, the the acting that um, Takayama did with Delandu, like, she was just chewing up the scenery with this guy. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Uh, I, th- I think that's one of the reasons why I love him so much. Because, like, every time Delandu is on screen, he is just, like, eating it up. 100%. I mean... I I will just randomly be standing around and I'll just go, Jajika! <laughs> you ever just like bite your your leather gloved finger yes. dramatically? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, he's just or, so. Or I run my my thumb along my scar and say, Chick, Chick, Chick. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's he's just like a really good character. Like yeah. a a really, really great foil to, you know, our heroes. Yeah. And that's what you that's what you want in like a villainous character. Weirdly, I didn't know this, but I was looking through some of the original concept like art that uh Nobuteri Yuki did and they were talking about how originally Falcon and Delandu were going to be like one character. Oh wow. And I was like, oh, that would have been weird. <laughs> that would have made so no weird. sense. Yeah, I think as the series progressed, they realized, like, okay, we're going to need just two different characters for these ideas. Yeah, no. <laughs> but, like, it, the original sketch of Falcon was, like, he looked more like Dryden, which I thought was oh. interesting. Like, he had the little tiny glasses, and um, he kind of had similar hair. But, like, with the short bangs that Falcon had, which was very strange. And um, and we and should was... say that Dryden is sort of a side character. He's a merchant. Yes. It's kind of shady. Mm-hmm. Um, but also cool. I like Dryden. Yeah, no, Dryden, Dryden's cool. He, he's one of those, like, well, I have a very vast fortune, and please don't ask me how I got that vast fortune. Because yeah, it exactly. might be through illegal means <laughs> but yeah uh but he also had like a scar kind of like um delandu did oh huh uh and he was wearing sort of like a big cloaky jacket thing it looked like a hybrid of like falcon and dryden which was very strange um so i'm glad they separated <laughs> like the character of falcon and delandu because like if he if that had been one person that would have been so weird yeah, for many reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was just very interesting. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> that would have been... Ugh. <laughs> I don't know. That just sounds messy. Even more messy yeah. than it... <laughs> than it actually... Yeah. But, um... So we also have Princess Malerna, who is voiced by Mayumi Izuka. Uh, she was Nanaka in the Magic Users Club and... Uh, Kasumi slash Misty in the original Pokemon. Uh, so she is the youngest princess of Asturia, and she was forced to forget her medical studies dream of becoming a doctor by her family's pressure to be more of a traditional princess of the kingdom. Uh, she is very in love with Alan. Yeah, and teenage me was not on board with Malerna. I think, <laughs> I think adult me cares less. But teenage me was very much like, you you get away from him. 
she was like, you know, she's kind of young and naive and maybe yeah. not the best idea. But, you know, because she was also very in love with Alan and Hitomi was crushing on Alan. This causes a bit of a love triangle situation. Yeah. Which, which you know, just ups the drama. But uh, I did appreciate that, like, you know, watching this now that she was like sort of a cool princess. She was like, you know, I like wearing pants and being a doctor and I would rather not be a princess. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. Like I said, adult me is a little more like, eh, she's fine. But, but teenage me hated her. (laughs) I think that's pretty common. I think when I first watched it, I was like, "Ugh, she's just going to get in the way of the whole Alan thing. I was like, what is is this? (laughs) But uh, I've warmed up to her a little bit more now that I'm older. Um, She's also just like a really nice character. Um, I I loved her just silly little shady fight uh, with uh, (laughs) Hitomi when they first meet. Yeah. Like, like she's like, oh, you're, you're just the, you know, handmaid, right? Like, (laughs) yeah. That's I, I just assumed you were because you're dressed so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, ooh, the shade going on between these these girls. It's it's very Yeah, funny. massive shade. <laughs> Kitty agrees. Yes. <laughs> um, and the last character, like main character we'll go over, because he's kind of important, is Emperor D- Dornkirk. Drunkirk? Uh, Dornkirk. Hey, yeah, he has another name that's a little... Fantasy names are difficult. <laughs> uh, but he's the mysterious ruler of the Zybok Empire, who controls both Falcon and Delandu's actions. He is supposedly very, very old. Like, I think officially he's supposed to be, like, over 200 years old. Well, when we get into spoiler territory, we'll talk about why that is. Yeah. And um, he's seemingly being kept alive with a combination of magic and the strange mystical technology he has harnessed. He is obsessed with finding the secrets of the ancient city of Atlantis, Destiny, and uh, learning more about Hitomi and uh, what her whole deal is. So that is sort of a general overview of the main characters of the series. And... You know, in a nutshell, Hitomi is basically transported to this, you know, magical world and is trying to find her way out. But at the same time, there's also a war going on between, like, all these, you know, various countries uh, seemingly under this, you know, emperor's whole quest to harness weird ancient technological things. And it's great. (laughs) Like... The world, I think I've said it before, but the world building in this series is just so good. And, you know, there there have been, you know, people have asked me, like, why do you think Escaflonia is such an important series and why people should watch it? And it's just that, like, the, the story is so rich. The animation is gorgeous. The music is amazing. It's this great, the music is a great combination of both modern and, like, classical fantasy stuff and it fits the tone so well and just like the characters feel so fleshed out and you can just like really empathize with them 
even the messy characters, like, you, you, you end up rooting for them because you're just, like, you know, they feel more real. Like, they feel very fleshed out. And it, it's just got so much depth for a show that came out in 1996 that wasn't based on any existing property. Yeah, it's its own IP. And that is, it feels like that's so rare now, you know? Uh, it feels like every sort of like, you know, quote, isekai show that we get now is based on a light, a light novel, novel or a manga or a video game or a mobile game <laughs> or something like that. And, you know, in those instances, it feels like when you're watching that kind of adaptation, I almost always feel like when I watch those, I, f I feel like I'm missing something from those. And that's like, you know an actual like feeling of being immersed in whatever world they're talking about. And this series, like if you want to have a masterclass in like, you know, world building and, you know, just like feeling immersed in a story, Escaflone is really it. Each, like I've said before, each country feels distinctively different. They have their own sort of flavor and visual language. And the characters are all like different and unique and you don't really you don't see one of the characters from Escaflone like I said and think like oh that looks like so and so from this other thing like they all look very distinct and unique and the, the that's like the whole <laughs> the whole series looks just very distinctive and unique yeah even 25 years later it like it is just very much its own thing and it's just really really good <laughs> and um when people talk about like you know oh man you know quote isekai stuff meant something completely different back in the day like escaflonia is one of the things that most people point to like this is a, like i really wish like when people talked about like oh i love the isekai sort of like trope or whatever that they went back and watched some of like what that came from like this because I really, I kind of miss, like, the whole, I, I don't want to label Escaflone as, like, a shoujo per se, but since it has a lot of I was going to say, uh, uh, Iskai used to be much more shoujo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, I'm a dude and I'm whatever. Mm-hmm. Like. Because we had stuff like, like you said earlier, like Fushugi and Ray Earth. And stuff like that, and like Escaflone, which felt like it was more accessible to not just girls in particular, but everyone. Yeah, Escaflone may have a female heroine, but that doesn't mean that guys don't enjoy it. Oh yeah, I know plenty of guys that love Escaflone. Yeah, and it's, and it's not you know because like oh well, there's a female lead and she's fun to watch it's it's just that it's a really well written well realized story and i feel like a lot of uh shoujo leaning isekai stories like the the, sh the story and the characters were like the main thing and you know the whole being transported to another world was just you know a cool plot device to get to these cool characters yeah it wasn't the main focus which it feels like that is kind of turned around now. It feels like modern isekai is more focused on like, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could just 
leave this all behind and go to some weird new fantastical world and live like an RPG character. And it's like, mm, that's not really what it used to be, but like, I guess that's what it's turned into now. Yeah. But before we get into questions, um, I wanted to give us like a little sort of like free space, I guess. Like if we wanted to talk spoilery talk about specific characters or things in the show that we really just like a lot or want to talk about. Um, Yes. So from this point on, it's going to be full spoiler talk. If you haven't watched Escaflone or finished watching Escaflone, you might want to stop this podcast right now and wait until you have done so to come back. Or uh, I guess if you don't mind spoilers, keep listening. But uh, if you do mind spoilers, turn off right now because from here on out, uh, it's pretty spoilery for the rest of the episode. Was there anything that came to mind for you specifically? Oh, absolutely. Delando? Oh, yeah. Totally. Okay, so Delando is... I love Delando. He's great. Like, we already kind of established that we both really like this character a lot. So I feel kind of awkward calling him he. Yeah, it's tricky. I feel like they is a a little bit better but that's spoilery and that's why i didn't do it mm-hmm. yeah 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 i can understand but if, that but if you heard me earlier i just referred to them by name mm-hmm. because i was like Ugh. and it's that's such a um the way that okay so we're in spoiler territory now yes uh so the fact that delando is actually alan's sister forcibly gender reassigned is kind of messed up yeah it's it's one of those story devices that like obviously it's kind of hard to pin down like who exactly came up with this specific story idea or plot thread and so it's hard for me to say like where this was coming from. Yeah. So And why it needed to be. Yeah, and why it was put in there. So it could easily be somebody, like, very messily exploring, like, their own gender things by way of fiction. Which sure. is pretty common. Like, we've, we've also seen this in Isekai stuff with, like, Seifushu Yugi. Uh, where Noriko was, like, a very interesting uh, gender conundrum. <laughs> Which well, later... Noriko, I felt like, was their own choice. True. As opposed to Delando being a forcibly... True. Like, and I kind of hate that trope, like, mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Like, there was a movie recently... Um, about a hitman that got forcibly reassigned. And it was just, I didn't watch it, but I'm sure it was just terrible garbage. Yeah, yeah. They're, like, Delando is an interesting character because it really depends, people's opinion on them really depend on who you ask. Because yeah, you can definitely read into it in various ways. 
Um, I've seen people say, like, they really embraced Delondu because they later found out that they themselves were trans and, like, that sort of, like, kind of opened a door in their brain. Um, and But I've also seen trans people who are like, this is really bad and I don't like it and it really triggered me, which is completely understandable because it, like you said, it is like a forced thing that happened. Yeah, it's it's not like... It's not like Selena was like, oh, I'm actually living my truth to be a boy. Right. And then at the end of the series is a girl again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and so that's why it's so interesting that they wanted to make Fulcan and Delando the same guy. Because Fulcan is Vaughn's brother. Mm-hmm. Would that have made him also <laughs> Alan's sister? Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if, like, originally they were, like going to be like the big reveal was like actually Vaughn had a sister and that's why they didn't recognize like that yeah would, that would have been also very awkward because the the character designs for that character were very like traditionally male coded yeah yeah and like what we think I, of as very masculine features so like that would have been very difficult I saw the um, the sketch on your Twitter, and I realized that I had seen that before. I had just kind of blocked it out of my mind, because mm-hmm. it's so weird. Yeah, it is weird. <laughs> it's weird to see a character that looks like a mishmash of, like, Dryden and Falcon and Delando. Like, yeah. Like, mo- mostly, mostly Falcon, but, yeah. like... Okay. Okay, speaking, while we're talking about Falcon, my favorite moment in the entire show is when uh, they're altering fate and they zoom in real fast on Falcon's face as he says altering fate because uh, Elise and I call that the Falcon zoom. (laughs) And I'm so happy to get to share that with the rest of the world now. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) Falcon zoom. Falcon zoom. That That is totally what that is. Because it... It's like, it's the weirdest art direction to just be like, okay, and then we're going to zoom in on his face. Right now. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, like, why? I um, wonder if that was like a weird, awkward cut to save time, like, or animation, maybe? Yeah, maybe, but... <laughs> that is pretty weird. There's also a part that inadvertently makes me laugh with Falcon too. Like, there's that part where he's with... Hitomi and like mm. he he literally just rips off his his clothes <laughs> so he can fly uh because you know he has the wings yes, and shit yes and it just looks like this weird like the the camera zooms over and it's just him going rip like and suddenly he's like bare chested and I was just like whoa what <laughs> and it just it it looks so funny out of context it's true it's true (laughs) like i saw somebody on tumblr who made a gif of just that scene and every time i see that gif i just die it's so funny (laughs) i'm like oh man i know he's just like this beautiful shirtless angel man angel boy with uh black wings oh my god like like i said earlier it's like the most 90s anime boyfriend thing ever (laughs) he is so he is so clamp it's amazing that he's not a clamp character Right. 
But it kind of ties together because Nobuchiro Yuki did the designs for the X movie, which yes. has Clamp. So, like, yes. there is a big sort of, like, five degrees of clampness to it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, going back to Delandu, like, he is a really messy character. But then again, like, uh, you know, gender exploration stuff is always very messy, especially if it's coming from, like... A, a 1996 anime? <laughs> yeah, and from what we can assume, a non-trans place, maybe. Um, but um, I have read a lot of, like, really interesting, like, thoughts and feelings that writers over the years have, uh, you know, put down on the character. And um, it, it feels, like, really interesting to see, like, all these different opinions on him. Um, I know... Vry, who was on my Akira episode, did an article about Delondo. Um, I'll probably dig that up and put it in the show notes if people want to check it out. Uh, obviously, okay. it is super spoiler heavy, but if you're listening to this part, then you're already in spoiler territory, so. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, like, uh, I'm trying to think other, spo oh, like Alan's whole backstory um, yeah. So his... I know that you said that you soured on Alan at one point. Yeah. When and I was... I was curious. When I was a teenager, like, I, for, I don't know why. I was just like a naive, young person. <laughs> and like the minute I was like, oh, he had this whole affair and an illegitimate child. For some reason in my brain, I was like, oh, no, how dare how could you? <laughs> and like, I was just like, man, I can't even look at you in the face. Uh, which like looking back, I was like, that's a really stupid, why, why did I, I don't even know, you know, the, the follies of youth, etc. Um, but maybe that was just an excuse for me to be like, okay, I'm full on team Falcon now. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I can like both. There's, there's no. Yeah, you can be, no... you can be Team Falcon, and still be Team Allen. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, you know, I think when I rewatched it when I was in my twenties, I was like, why was I so hung up on this? Like, it's, it's good drama. Who cares? <laughs> but, uh, you know, subsequently watching it again, uh, now. I, I was like, you know, I, I feel like this gives Alan a lot more, like, depth of personality because we kind of, like, he hides, you realize he's hiding behind this whole facade of, like, oh, I'm a ladies' man and, you know, don't get too close to me because I'm super flirty and, like, all this stuff. Yeah. And I appreciate He's got that. a lot of pain. Yeah, he's hiding a lot of, like, inner turmoil. And I was just like, ooh, I love that shit. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I was just like, man, I love him even more now. God. <laughs> I was like, teenage me just was like, I don't know what she was thinking. Like, <laughs> but. Uh, teenage you had some morality. Like. I guess so. Like, I was just too goody-goody, I guess. <laughs> Pearl clutching. Yes, I was like, oh, oh, the shock of it all. But um, but now I'm like, I don't know why I didn't see that coming. It seems like a pretty, like, standard, like, 
almost sh like again another shoujo trope like oh there's this whole forbidden love angle with the princess like yeah <laughs> that's like you know fantasy or medieval storytelling 101 right yeah but um let's see i'm trying to think of there um since you know we were we both mentioned him a couple times already but dryden oh yeah dryden's a great character <laughs> Dryden is great. I really, really loved, like, his initial introduction. His initial introduction is just so With, good. like, the mer people? Yeah, with the mer lady that's, like, in his um, on-ship aquarium, I guess. Yes. And it's just very, like, um, there's, like, this really chill sort of jazzy Yoko Kano thing playing in the background. And you're just like, ooh, who's this guy? What's his story like? He's got mermaids? What's going on? <laughs> yes. I mean, that's a great intro right there. And then to find out he's just like, well, I'm this sort of well-to-do kind of royal person. But, like, I'm sort of like a Robin Hood sort of guy where I just, like, you know, uh, don't ask where this came from. Just take it. Yeah. Um, and well, that's, he's, a, he's a merchant. Yeah. Yeah. He, that's where all his money comes from is, like, you know, oh, I'm a merchant. Just don't ask where this came from or where I got it. Yeah. And um, I really, I, I think watching it again now as an adult and seeing him go from like, you know, also like you get sort of the impression early on that he is also like this ladies man, but he also has like this sort of like facade that he puts on to be like, you know, actually I'm quite caring and, Nice, and I do like you, Malerna, but, like, I know you're <laughs> infatuated with somebody else and, like, you're never gonna love me that way. Um, yeah. Was, like, really kind of heartbreaking this time around. I was just like, oh, man. Like, he's legitimately a cool dude, and it kind of sucks that he's like, yeah, you're never gonna love me like you love that guy. <laughs> and he knows it, and it's just like... Oh. And he owns it like a man. Yes. Like, he, he goes up there and he's like, you know, it's it's okay. I'll be waiting for you if you ever change your mind. And it's like, oh, that's the good romance shit right there. Mm. I love it. It's so good. And now to change gears entirely, the fact that Dornkirk is Isaac Newton. <gasps> yeah! You know, the first time I ever saw it, I didn't get that. Uh, and it wasn't until... I, I still think, don't get it. Yeah, I don't think it was until I read, like, supplementary materials or, like, some interviews where they sort of just, like, go like, oh, yeah, he was supposed to be Isaac Newton. I was like, what? Yeah. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like, I understand, but I don't get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like there was probably, you know, since this was originally supposed to be like, you know, 50 some odd episodes or whatever, there was probably something that went more into like, oh, yeah, this guy was really Isaac Newton. But we were supposed to kind of just figure that out because he kept talking about the gravity of fate and stuff like that. And I was like, eh. lots of people talk about gravity. Yeah, I mean, eh. but like. That was still, like, a really weird thing that I was like, I don't think that really reads super well. 
no, in it doesn't. the anime at all. Because, like, for a while I was like, am I just dumb and I'm not picking up on the little tiny breadcrumb trail that they're leaving here that's barely visible? But uh, I'm glad that, like, I'm not the only one who was like, I did not get that at all. <laughs> but yeah. this time around when I rewatched it, like, the whole thing with him kind of having a... Like, I don't want to say crush, but, like, maybe, like, an obsession with, like, Hitomi's grandma was really awkward. Uh, and, I mean, Alan, Alan's dad, too. Or maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Alan's that's what dad. you're thinking of. Yeah. Alan's dad uh, <laughs> was obsessed with Yuri. Yeah, yeah. Th that was a little awkward. Um, because she looks even younger than Hitomi. I think it's just because she was wearing, like, you know, the little braids in her hair, and it gave her more of, like, a younger look than even Hitomi, but, like, Alan's dad looked way older. <laughs> and so, yeah. like, I was like, ooh, I don't... Mm, I don't know about this. I'm like, I'm glad they didn't, like, explicitly make it like he was in love with her or whatever. Like, it was just sort of, like, a weird obsession with finding her, I guess. But it still felt a little weird. Maybe it's just, you know, the time we're living in now. And I'm just like, hmm. No, you're not wrong. I don't know if I like that. Especially considering he, like, sort of just abandoned his family to, like, search for this mystery girl. Yeah. And then his daughter got kidnapped. And then his wife died of a broken heart. And then his son just went off and was a punk for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was so... Oh, I was going to say, one of the things that the Fox version totally cut out was everything with Balgus in the very beginning. That's right, because they, they cut out the whole, like, first episode and then went straight to, like, stuff on the second episode. But then they cut well, a lot of even that for time. Well, they cut a lot of, well, for content, because Balgus gets ripped apart. <gasps> That's true. Doesn't he get, like, impaled? Yeah, he gets impaled by, um... I want to say Delando's Gaimalef or one of the other dragon slayers. Yeah. Mm hmm. And it is gory. Yeah. I mean, all, almost all of the all the deaths in uh, Escaflone are pretty brutal. <laughs> pretty brutal. Like, I think the only death that wasn't that like on screen violent was a uh, Falcon's. Yeah, Falcon got like. A tragic death. Yeah, he got just a sad, pretty angel boy <laughs> death. Yeah. Which is fitting. Which is still sad, but fitting. But yeah, that that is true. Like, I guess they were like, well, we, we can't show him dying, like, super violently on this kid's show. So, like, I guess we'll just cut him out completely. Which would have been weird once they got to the point when, like... They talk about how Alan was trained by him and, like, that's his connection with Vaughn and et cetera, et cetera. Because, mm -hmm. you know, one of the big, obviously, themes of the show is fate and how, like, a lot of the characters end up being connected in strange ways that they yeah. don't uh, automatically realize sometimes. And that was how, like you said, Alan was connected to Vaughn and his family through Vargas. Yeah. Uh so they didn't even know that. Neither of them really knew each other at all until 
you know, they found each other while adventuring and all that fun stuff. All right. Um, was there any other major characters or plot points we wanted to talk over in like a spoilery way before we get to questions? Because we got a lot of questions. Um, Um, shout out to Nadia and Erica, because we didn't even really talk about them. We talked about Meryl, but not about... The other twin cat girls. Uh, yeah, their their story is kind of sad, and I feel like it would have been way better fleshed out if the series had been longer. Yes. But you still feel for them, especially when, you know, you find out their whole backstory with, like, being abandoned and their whole tribe getting murdered and, like... And then Falcon takes them in. Yeah. And they're and, both in love with Falcon. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I can't blame them. But, yeah, we're not um, judging. Yeah, no judging. And and they're both, like, really fun characters, too, because they have their own Gaimelfs that are, like, that they have, like, big, like, 80s, like, rock hair. Yeah. Which is awesome. I had totally forgotten about their their mechas until, like, I rewatched it, and I was like, oh, yeah, they had these, too. Oh, and yeah. They're, and they're super cool. They have, like, like 80s hair metal hair. <laughs> Which is wild, because I don't think any other uh, machines we see in the series have anything like that. So No, was, I think it's just them. Yeah, they were super unique. And that was, like, pretty, pretty great. Um, it made me wonder if, at any point, um, Imagawa had like thrown that idea out there in the beginning like uh production thing because that seems like a a very g gundam idea (laughs) like what if we gave these machines big hair because they're cat girls yeah naturally um but i would have i would be interested to hear like whose idea that was because it was pretty cool (laughs) i i loved it i thought it was great um Let's see. I'm trying to think. Um, honestly, there's just so many characters uh, in the series. We could do like a whole episode just talking about how great they are, but we'd be here forever. Uh, but that's sort of an overview of like some of the cool, like sort of spoilery stuff, I guess, about some of our favorites. Um, yeah. Because like. I think we already went over like who our favorites were. Like, obviously, I I love Hitomi, but like Alan and Falcon especially are like two of my absolute favorites. Yeah. Um, um, so Elise, who I mentioned, and I used to RP for a really long time, and I played Alan. She played Hitomi. Oh. And a cast of other characters. Um, we brought back Delando because we could. Yeah. The magic of RP. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, we. It, it was. It is way too long to get into here, but uh, I definitely have a fondness for Alan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you should, because he's great. <laughs> <laughs> we love Alan in this house. All right, so. Uh, I want to thank everybody for sending in so many questions. We had so many. If I don't get to yours, I'm sorry. We just had so many that I might have to just cut some for time because we're already running pretty long, I think, at this point. 
so we got several people who asked uh, which of the dub versions do you think is best. I've only heard snippets of Ocean. the dubs, but yeah, I, I would say Oceans is better. Better. I think the casting is a lot better on that one. Uh, no offense to like if you like the Funimation one, that's fine. They're both, you know, they're and you they're can both pick, dubs. Yeah, <laughs> they're both there for you to choose from if that's what you prefer. Um, but in my heart, always like the original is my favorite. Like, yeah, that's that's the one I go to. That's the one I always watch. I've never seen the full series dubbed. I've only seen little snippets. I will say, I think I already mentioned it before though, but Paul Dobson as Falcon was excellent casting. Like he's probably one of the, my favorite parts of that whole dub. Just like mwah, chef's kiss. That's excellent <laughs> casting there. <laughs> um, so let's see. Da, da, da. Grant had several questions, but I'm just going to ask the second one because it's funny. Uh, on a scale of 0 to 10 fingered glove bites, how highly does Delandu rate as a villain? Oh, so high. Like 10, tw- ten like, out of 10. Like 20. <laughs> Like yeah. they don't, they don't make villains like they used to, as they. They say. really don't. <laughs> I I would love a a revival of a, a Delando style villain. Like bring that back, super good. Yes. Um. Let's see. Cece Takato asks, "Has your opinion about Alan changed over the years?" I kind of already said, like, yes, definitely, which is kind of wild to me. Uh, but it's it's been a roller coaster. First, it was. Love him, then hate him. Now I'm back to loving him even more. It's great. And I have just always been Team Alan. <laughs> yep. So, yay, Alan. Uh, let's see. Nitro of MDIS Playlist asks, given how amazing she was in the Escaflone OP, what are some of your other favorite Maya Sakamoto songs that she's performed in anime over the years? So it's sort of cheating to say that I love her work for Fate Grand Order. (laughs) Because that's technically a video game. But, uh, of course, I love Platinum. Platinum is a standard. Oh, yeah, from... Cardcaptor Sakura. Sakura. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's a really good one. The stuff she did for the new Cardcaptor Sakura was also really good. I also love um, her Wolf Strain stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like, God, like I don't think I've ever heard a Maya Sakamoto song and thought, eh, <laughs> that was all right. <laughs> yeah, uh, so fun fact about Maya Sakamoto is that she refused to do any character songs for Monogatari. Oh, really? So every other arc has the character voice actress singing the opening song except for her arcs which are just weird huh yeah Hmm. they're very very weird i didn't realize that that's interesting yeah as she said she uh, i'm not not gonna misquote what what she said because i can't remember what it was but there was some kind of reason and i thought it was very interesting because it's not as if she's never ever done an image song. No, yeah. Huh. That's unusual. But um but yeah, Maya Sakamoto good. <laughs> like everything she does is pretty great. Um yeah. but I think the one uh, the ones that you said in particular like for Cardcaptor Sakura and Wolf Strain 
are really high ranking, like really up there. Although I don't think anything can really top the Escaflone opening for me. Agreed, like, agreed. I think that's like number one all time best Maya Sakamoto thing. Um, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean her other. I was gonna say the image songs that she did for, like Ali Hitomi and You're Not Alone and um, oh, there's one more. Told myself for a long time. Don't go there. You will only be sorry. What is the name of that song? Oh, I know that one. I can't remember. <laughs> that is a good one, though. Yeah, those are those are all great. Like, honestly, all of the stuff she did for Escaflone was really good. Yeah. I mean, because that goes back to when we were just talking about the music in general. The music in general is just like... One of Yoko Kano's just all-time greatest things ever that she did, in my opinion. Like, it's just yeah, solid from, like, start to finish. Like, I can't think of a single Escaflone song that I was like, I didn't really care for that. But yeah, uh, let's see. Gab asks, what did you think about the ending? And is there any production-related reason to why the pacing subtly falls in quality around the last third of the series? Uh, well, we kind of went over, you know, the, the the short answer is just the, the budget cut just made everything have to be shorter. And that's why, like, every episode is just kind of jam-packed with story because they had to cram it in there. And so that makes the pacing a little weird at the end because they were just kind of sprinting towards the finish line. Um... I think the ending is still good. I hate the ending. <laughs> well, I say it's good, but like it's still kind of like it still leaves me a little dissatisfied. I think if you're team Vaughn or if you're team Allen, the ending is very unsatisfying. Yeah. It's just like, oh, hey, bye. <laughs> yeah it's just like you know oh i'll never forget you and she leaves and like just like every once in a while he just pops back up in her visions i guess like it's kind of unclear yeah. um it's like does does he come visit you like what's going on <laughs> like they leave it kind of vague and I'm like, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm like, I kind of get what they were going for. But at the same time, it still feels a little unsatisfying when you think about it too much. You know, you're just like, ugh. like, if you were like a real teenage girl would just be like, uh, <laughs> like maybe just a kiss or something like, yeah, maybe. Well, if you if you weren't like. Maybe if you were, like, an asexual girl and you weren't into that, like, yeah, that's fine. But we've already seen that Hitomi, like, has those kind of feelings. Right. Even so if they it's... were being manipulated by fate. Mm-hmm. So it's like, eee, like, I feel like it's a little out of character that she was just like, I'm okay with this. I'm just gonna go home now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I was just like, Mm, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's like a kind of like weird romance of it all. Like, oh, let's not spoil this by, you know. <laughs> let's have a hearty, something? a hearty handshake and 
be on our way. But it's it's just weird. It's like, what are you afraid of? Let them kiss. They're teenagers. And even then, I'll go on record as saying, I would have hated that. Oh, really? That they yeah. kiss and say goodbye and she just leaves? No, I, I, I just, I don't like Vaughn. Oh, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> if you don't like Vaughn, then yeah, it is a little like, oh, eh. <laughs> I, I... I was thinking, like, how the series would be different if she did end up with Alan. And I was like, I don't know how that would have gone, per se. Um, But, you know, watching it again, I do get... You do kind of get the sense that, like, the... The romantic subplot with her and Vaughn was a little rushed because they ran out of time. Yeah. And it does feel... They can be, like, cool buds. Yeah. It's a, it's a little awkward. But, like, I get it. Like, the, the 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 beats are there. And it works. But, like, it's a little rushed and a little just, like, you know, it could have been better. It could have been more polished. Um, which is yeah. one of the reasons why maybe they were like, well, let's make that movie and we'll just change everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, like, ugh, I don't know. So, I'm like, it's fine. It could be better, but it's fine. I know when I was a teenager, I kind of hated it. Um, yeah. I think that was one of my first just very aggressive turns to the inter- the very early internet where I was like, where's the fan fiction? <laughs> I need something after that because I am wholly unsatisfied with how that played out. Um which, like, I think I found a few things, but, like, that was very early internet, so I didn't really find a whole lot. It was yeah. uh, it was rough. I'm sure if I tried now, I'd probably find hundreds of thousands. Oh, yeah, you can find it. But uh, <laughs> back then it was like, uh, I found, like, two GeoCities web pages. <laughs> and it takes five minutes for them to load. <laughs> so it's like, eh. Uh. But, um... I should go on record as saying that if you like Vaughn, that's fine. You can like Vaughn. Okay. We all live in a time where everybody is free to make their own choices. Yeah. My personal preference is just not Vaughn. Not Vaughn. Basically, yeah. anybody in the series but Vaughn. <laughs> like, I, I remember liking him a lot more when I was younger, but I think now that I'm older, I was like, he, ha- he has, like, n- not very much to his personality. <laughs> No, he's just kind of a bratty little kid. Yeah. Like, you do see him like, oh, he gets better at, like, sword fighting. And he he stops being an asshole to everyone around him, for the most part. Uh, That's great. That's good character growth. But other than that, you're like, I don't know what other hobbies he has. I don't know what he likes and dislikes. He doesn't have an owl. No, he doesn't have an owl. He doesn't have a beautiful snowy owl that likes to sit on his shoulder. He yes. just has Escaflone and a sword and a, a dead brother. And a dead mom. And, uh, well, yeah, and a dead kingdom. Yeah, uh, pretty much everything he has is dead. Which is depressing. But, it is. Uh, you know, some people are into the whole, like, very quiet, depressed dude but he's not very quiet and depressed that's vulcan true that's true hmm hmm what's that say about me (laughs) (laughs) 
But uh, yeah, like it's, uh, I've grown to be like, it's fine. <laughs> the ending is fine, but it could be better. It could be better. Like, it still kind of made me tear up a little at the end just because you're like, oh, it's over now, you know? Oh, well, yeah, it's over. But like, but not because I was like, oh, the greatest love story of all time or anything like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah. your your miles may vary. If you love Vaughn and Hitomi, like, you know, that's great. Then you also probably think the ending sucks. Yeah, yeah. It is one of those endings where a lot of the anime fans are just like, okay, now it's time to draw fan art and <laughs> write fan fiction because that was truly an ending. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah unfortunately um let's see manga dungeon asks on the dubbed anime song o meter of zero to bop where does the weird fox kids opening song rank to you i mean it's not an escaflonai song we've already mm-hmm. been really clear about that yeah but it it's not a bad song yeah you know i went and i found <laughs> i found a clip of it and i listened to it and i was like you know if you just like had released this as like a techno album and yeah. had it totally just disconnected from Escaflone, no ties whatsoever. I'd be like, oh, this is pretty good. But um, as an Escaflone song, zero. <laughs> yeah. uh, as as just a song by itself, eh, it's a mild bop. Yeah, it's fine. I'd say it's, it's a seven. Yeah, it's a solid seven. Uh, Inanzer is a great composer and he does some great work uh, and I'm glad that he doesn't do weird dubbed anime songs anymore <laughs> I'm glad he found his, his his niche his niche as doing like way better video game soundtracks because yes. that's that's where he belongs that's he's using his talent for good now <laughs> yes um, Mr. Tom Asnable your friend and mine uh, he asks, do you feel Escaflone draws from its few fantasy mecha anime predecessors like Aura, Battle, Dunvine, and Panzer World Galliant? When I first started watching Galliant, I felt like I noticed many similarities to Escaflone, though I can't say whether this was intentional or just genre tropes. So I also can't say whether it was intentional or not, but they definitely are influenced. Mm-hmm. And Dunbine, I believe, was, like, one of the first sort of, like, isekai anime things back in the day. Um, I could be wrong, but it's a very early example yeah. of it. And um, it's, I, it's been so long since I've watched any of it, and I never finished it. But it is one of those sort of, like messy Tomino things that starts out really cool and apparently just ends a little weird. Uh, which kind of falls in line with Escaflone to a point. Like, the ending's a little, like... Yeah. Um, but the, the style-wise, uh, I think it they did sort of, like, look at that and go, like, okay, how do we make a uh, a fully realized world that's, like, as good as that or better? Yeah. Because I, I remember Dunbine having, like, uh, similarly, like, really cool world building. And the style well, was very Well, Tomino nice. is a world builder. Definitely. 
he's not really a people person. <laughs> but he knows how to craft a world. Yeah. Set a mood. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it kind of makes me want to go back now and maybe finish Dunbine at some point. Because I do remember, like, thinking the animation was, like, really, really nice for the time. Especially, like, the opening is really beautiful. Yeah, it is. Um, I've never seen Galliant before. I also have not seen Galliant. So I can't really say anything in regards to that, but... For I mean, I've, I've seen pictures of Galliant, so mm -hmm. that's why I know that, like, oh, I can see the influence, but I, I have not seen it in motion, so... Right. Were, were those also Sunrise? I can't remember. I want to say yeah. Yeah, I want to say Dunbine for sure, but I can't. Dunbine remember. for sure is Sunrise, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that would also not surprise me because, like, Sunrise, Mecha stuff, a lot of it kind of pulls from each other. Yeah. They're like, okay, well, we own this, so, like, you know. Well, Sunrise right now keeps trying to make Code Geass again. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, you know, history repeats itself. But, um, but yeah, it, uh, I would suggest, like, if the idea of, like, a fantasy mecha series interests you, like, um, historically, like, Dunbine is, like, a really important sort of thing in the genre, so if you have access to it, you know, it's worth checking out if you really like Escaflone. It's t tonally in very different, but the the look of it and the feel of it is very cool. I will say that. Um... If you're not too big on, like, the, the shoujo trappings of Escaflone, like, maybe you'll find something you like in Dunbine. <laughs> and if you don't like that. any of that, why not Garzi's Wing? <laughs> that classic Tomino uh, joint, Garzi's Wing. Which I already referenced once in this episode. <laughs> it's hard not to. It is hard not to. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> uh, Clampcast in Wonderland, which is also a very cool podcast that y'all should check out. Uh, what's the story with having two manga adaptations? I remember being told they were a shoujo and shonen version to both to capture both sides of the perceived audience. Is that common for adaptations, or were there uh, were any of the anime staff involved in the comics and vice versa? Okay, so I kind of hinted about talking about this earlier. So I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about this because it's, it's yeah. kind of fun. So the manga adaptations were kind of similar to how the Utena manga went, in which they were made separately from the anime and sometimes with ideas that the series started with but had abandoned. So the shonen manga Escaflone was just called The Vision of Escaflone. And that was given to an artist by Sunrise while the anime production was still being finalized. So this is why the shonen manga version has the sexy heroine Hitomi. Uh, yes. And is more... And that's more in line with, like, you know, the typical, like, quote, shonen manga things. Um, and this was the only one that was licensed in English. It was English uh, licensed in English by Tokyo Pop back in the day. It's, I think, like, five or six volumes long or something like that. And um, it's not very good. 
Yeah, no, it's not. It's like I've flipped through it a few times. It is super generic and boring. Uh, it kind of sucks that it shares the same name with this show because it's completely different. Uh, there is a Hitomi, there is a Vaughn. I think there's a couple of other characters that share the same name, but they look nothing like the characters in the show at all. Uh, so the shoujo manga version is called Hitomi, the vision of Escaflone. And from what I've read about it, uh, it also sounds very different from the anime, but has more of a focus on like the romance and character relationship aspects. And it sounds very like dreamy fantasy stuff, which, you know, sounds about right for like a shoujo adaptation. Um, the ending is completely different. And also sounds equally as frustrating. Like if you go to like, there's a there's an Escaflone Wikipedia, and it gives you like a sort of vague summary of these stories. And I was reading it, and I was like, this sounds bizarre. <laughs> but um, I can't say for sure because I've never actually read it because it's never been uh, licensed in English, so you can only get it in Japanese. And the third Escaflone manga was, I mentioned before, it was a one-shot. It was called Escaflone Energeist's Memories. And that was a collection of 15 different short stories by various mangaka relating to Escaflone in some way. Apparently most of them were, like, gag comics. Oh, nice. I would die to own that. <laughs> Which sounds kind of great. Um, there were a few that were more serious, but like the bulk of them apparently were supposed to be humorous and none of these were crafted or written or drawn by anyone that was on staff for the anime. So they're kind of just like, they're there, but they're completely separate. The six light novels that were made, uh, that I mentioned earlier, those were written by Shoji Kawamori himself. Uh, along with Yumiko Tsukamoto, who I think he just hired on to help him be a writer. So maybe like a ghostwriter type deal. These ran in New Type magazine, apparently, and were put out by New Type's publisher. Uh, sadly, these were also never translated officially into English. So I have no idea what's in them. Uh, it might just be an adaptation of the basic story, but like six, only six novels seems pretty short yeah so i don't know it could be anything uh the covers are really cool though i i looked them up and i was like oh they they got official like anime artists to make like you know art that looks like the anime for the covers it's pretty that's cool. cool um so yeah like that's the deal with the manga we only got the really bad shonen version in English, which I feel like is a huge disappointment. <laughs> like, if anything, they should have seen if they could get that weird, like, <laughs> short story manga. Like, I, I want to read that. <laughs> the one with all the gag stuff. Like, that seems like it would be hilarious. I feel like that'd be harder to translate. Eh, probably. Maybe a lot of, like, weird word puns or... Oh, yeah. Japan loves weird word puns. <laughs> yeah. Um, but maybe that one was also, like, harder to license. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it just seems weird that, like, Tokyo Pop, of all people, they were licensing everything back in the day. Uh, and they only licensed that one. Like, the Shonen one. 
Uh, but maybe it just didn't sell well enough for them to do the others. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. They had a habit of, if it didn't sell, like, gangbusters right away, they were like, well, what what's something else we can translate? <laughs> what's another property we can buy? Uh, famously, like, them dropping a lot of stuff over the years. Yeah. Let's see. Ba, 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 ba. Uh, Shoujo and Tell, which is another really fun manga podcast that you should check out. Uh, how do you feel about all the cat girls, which is such a 90s thing, and the inclusion of Jajuka? Jajuka! In which they put in parentheses, justice for Jajuka! Yes. Um, it is totally a 90s thing. Um, also, I'm going to say right here, if you can hear the children screaming <laughs> in the audio right now. I can, um, I can hear the children screaming, actually. I, there are some very excited kids that, like, they are allowed to play outside right now. So, apologies. But I also understand their, their elation and their joy. Yes. <laughs> but, sorry about that. It's not not much I can do at this point. But I'm just like, oh, okay. But yeah. anyway. Kids um, gonna scream. I agree that, like, literal cat girls is actually kind of cool because uh, I think I mentioned earlier that, like, when we usually think of anime cat girls, it's just a girl with cat ears. Yeah. Maybe maybe a tail. But these were literal, like, oh, they are cats who look like human girls. And Jajiko was a dog who looked like a beautiful human man. Yes. <laughs> I feel like... I, I'm honestly surprised there's not as much furry fan art for Escaflone out there as I would have assumed there might be. Which is wild. Yeah. You'd think, like, wow, like, all these different, like, anthropomorphic characters, like, you know, the furries would be like, wah! <laughs> have a field day with that. But, like, I've, uh, over the years, I've, like, you know, tried to poke around because I'm like, are there people who've done, like, fan art? And there, there is, but not, like in, like, the abundant way I would have assumed, like, the furry community might embrace it, but yeah, maybe because that wasn't the focus of the show. Yeah. Um, but I do love that they were very creative with that, because, like, Jajuka looks like one of those oh gosh, I can't remember what they're called, but that European breed of dog with the long snout. Um, yeah, um, it's not a whippet, it's, um... Is it like a a wolfhound? A borzoi. Borzoi. Oh, okay. I was like, I I don't know dogs. <laughs> I I know my dogs. <laughs> but like, that was a really neat idea because like I don't think I've ever seen usually when people do like a dog man, it's like, uh, oh, you look like a just a like a Labrador or a hound dog or something. Yeah. But that was a really cool choice because like it made him very like like you said, like Bishonity. <laughs> yes, he's a beautiful dog man. He's a beautiful, beautiful dog man. He didn't deserve to die. He did not. He was trying to protect his friend. Ooh. It was it was very sad. Um but I do think it's like really cool. And I think it like added some flavor to that world. Like, yeah, there's like animal people, there's regular people, there's 
people with wings. <laughs> There's all sorts of people on Gaia. It is a very uh, diverse world. <laughs> it's really cool. I like it. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. See, we have a couple more I think we can do. Okay, so David asks, unlike the DQ pastiche of a lot of fantasy anime, Finalia is a really lovingly rendered setting. Each kingdom has its own architecture, costuming, guy milfs, etc. And we spend time in each of them to get a little of each flavor. Uh, do you have a uh, favorite fantasy setting in anime other than like Escaflone? Um, that's hard for me to answer because I don't watch a lot of fantasy anime. I think it doesn't help that like a lot of, a lot of the fantasy anime that I know and love is like older. I haven't watched a lot of new fantasy anime because what constitutes as fantasy anime now is like the born in another world stuff. Right. I'm not watching those. <laughs> particularly um i do really like the world of rare earth sephrio yeah i was gonna say rare earth is really cool it's it's very like fantasy and like uh it, in a clamp way it's very like intricate and beautiful and uh shoujo manga-y in a way that's like unique and really cool but still like very Sort of like what you would think of a fantasy anime to look like. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, I I want to say also, like, Lotus War, but it is also kind of like your typical fantasy setting. Like, there's nothing especially unique about the setting in Lotus War. It's just really well animated and <laughs> put together. So it just looks really, really pretty. Uh, even though it's not super unique or anything. I mean, I would say if somebody asked me just, you know, outside of this podcast, what's your favorite fantasy settings in anime? Like, Escaflone would be, like, way up there. Like, it'd be number one. Because it's, like, super unique and beautiful. Yeah. Um, Like, one of the other, just, I guess, fantasy settings I would think of is, like, <laughs> does Sailor Moon's Moon Kingdom count? <laughs> Maybe. It kind of walks the line a little bit because I always really love like the the very beautiful designs of the you know the palaces on the moon and like the fountains and all that stuff it's like very very pretty um not super original because it's obvious that they use a lot of inspiration from like Greek and Roman architecture and um and even some maybe, like, I think Indian, because, like, I think one time I saw, like, they made the palace look more, like, almost Taj Mahali. Yeah, uh, they did. Which uh, I thought was interesting. But, yeah. Um, but still really beautiful. It it does make me wonder if there are any more, like, modern takes that are a little bit more unique. But, like, everything I've seen doesn't make me think so. Like... Most stuff looks pretty generic, like Dragon Quest copy-paste stuff, which is kind of sad. I wish people would be more creative with their their fantasy worlds nowadays. Yeah. But, um, oh, but you know, prove me wrong. Like, if someone out there listening is like, no, this one show is really cool and you should look at their stuff, then let me know. Like, I would be very 
uh, curious to check it out, especially if it wasn't, you know, just another reborn in another world with my best friend as a, you know, I don't know, you know, all sorts of weird crap. <laughs> all right. Um, and final question, because I thought this was a nice one and we're already kind of talking about it anyway. Uh, Jared asks if people like Escaflone, what else should they watch? Um, Ray Earth. Yeah, definitely Ray Earth. Maybe Fushigi Yugi. Oh yeah, I feel like I feel like if you've watched Escaflone but you haven't watched Fushigi Yugi, uh, you might be a boy. <laughs> uh, Fushigi Yugi, I feel like. Well, if you just watched the TV show. I feel like has a much more satisfying ending than as Wait, what does that have to do with being a boy? Uh, nothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> that I was a separate were, thought. I thought you were saying, oh, it's very satisfying for all genders. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying that it, it uh, Shuyugi skews much more shoujo. Yeah, it's it's definitely like if you liked all the the romance and the character uh, interactions and stuff like that, like the more what we think of as shoujo leaning stuff, like uh, Fushigi is definitely in that oeuvre, and um, it might not be fantasy per se. It's more like historical fantasy, but um, still very good. And if you have, it, and like you said, if if you've somehow never seen Escaflone, or if you've somehow seen Escaflone but never seen Shugugi, like, that's something maybe you should watch. But uh, I do think that you're right, and a lot of male fans would looked at Shugugi and they're like, oh, that's not for me. Which is, you know, it's fair. Yeah, it's a reverse harem, so. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say El Hazard. Definitely El Hazard. That also came to mind. Um, I was also thinking, like, if you just like the fantasy aspect, like if you haven't seen Lotus War, the original. Oh, yeah. That would be good. Um, a newer show that uh, kind of is in the same vein as Escaflone, I think would be The Twelve Kingdoms. I think that was early 2000s. Um but it has a very similar vibe going on. I think if, like, you mixed elements of Escaflone with elements of Fushigi and it's kind of that. Hmm. Um, oh, and also Please Save My Earth. Oh, yeah, I was going to suggest that one. Because uh, that also has a very good Yoko Kano soundtrack. And oh, yeah. has the, the whole, like, you know, interplanetary romance, fate, thing going on like very similar vibes uh a little weirder oh yeah <laughs> but uh similar vibes for sure uh it kind of sucks that that one is out of print but um i think you can still find it pretty easy and the ova is like really short it's it's only a few episodes yeah uh, and if you liked that and were like, wow, that felt like there was stuff missing. There is a whole Please Save My Earth manga that you can buy digitally. It's good. Like, good shoujo stuff. All right. That is all for questions right now. 
And a very big thank you to those who left me tips this month on Kofi. Uh, in celebration of Escaflone's 25th anniversary, I would like to do the Kofi tip thank yous like this. Were these tips on Kofi a dream or perhaps a vision? Many thanks to those who left me tips this month on Kofi, including AJ, Jose, Boobly, Various Suit Girl, Ryan, Jeremy, Dan, Matthew of At Swords Comic, Huntress Fan, and several others who wish to remain anonymous. Many people also sent birthday messages and even some gifts from my Amazon wish list from far away, from worlds unknown, which I also appreciate very much. Really, thank you from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> If you want to get a shout out on the next episode of the podcast to be just as cool as they are, all you have to do is go to my Kofi account and leave me a tip of two or more coffees. I'll have a link to that in the show notes, which you can see at animenostalgia.blogspot.com, as well as at animenostalgia.tumblr.com, where you can also find other relevant links for this episode, as well as links to past episodes. You can also find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for the Anime Nostalgia Podcast and you can usually find it. And while you're there, you could always Always show my podcast some love by leaving a rating or a review. I always love seeing what people have to say about the podcast. Or if you want to send me your thoughts and comments directly, or you just want to say hi, you can always email me at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but I promise that I do read all the email that I get. My amazing theme song music was made by Carobit. You can find him at Carobit, that's K-E-R-O-B-I-T, on Twitter. And um, so thank you once again to Miss New Type Lady. It was so much fun to talk about Escaflone with you again. Yes, I had a blast. <laughs> and, um, you know, once again, happy 25th anniversary to Escaflone. Uh, I hope that if you already love Escaflone, like this made you feel super nostalgic about one of our favorite shows and if somehow you've never seen Escaflone and you're still listening even through all the spoilery stuff uh maybe we convinced you to give it a shot because I feel like it's one of those things that was really big when we were younger but has sort of like kind of fallen out of fandom consciousness over the years yeah and and is just waiting for somebody to discover it again could be you all right. And thanks again for listening, everybody. Uh, say, stay safe out there. Keep washing your hands. Keep wearing your masks, even after you're vaccinated. Uh, take care. And we will see you next time. Ciao. Escafron. shell you know hitomi basically <laughs> <laughs>